VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley. We have a very special midweek episode for you. So, you may have heard, unless you reside under a very large rock, that Sir Richard Branson blasted into space this past weekend, which was the culmination of 17 years of him trying to pull off what he just pulled off. And next week, Jeff Bezos plans on doing the same. Now, a couple years ago, we did a deep dive into this whole space race, which is now playing out for the world to see. So we talked to several of the astronauts who were on board the Virgin space plane that made history last week. We also peeled back the layers on Jeff Bezos's really quite wild plans for outer space colonization. And of course, you've all heard about Elon Musk's plan to create a new settlement on Mars, but trust me, Bezos's plans are at least as ambitious. Anyhow, if you are at all curious about what is happening with this whole space race, how it came about, why it is happening, the motivations behind the handful of billionaires who are driving it, this is the podcast for you. It's a quite a fun, quick half hour through this whole history and how we got to this point and why it matters for you and I and the human race. Anyhow, I think you'll enjoy it. So here it is. Have a listen. And we'll be back later this week with a regularly scheduled programming. Enjoy. Okay, Houston, I'm on the porch. Roger, Neil. 50 years ago, it happened. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. It fired the imaginations of people around the world. And it opened a new era of space exploration. Kind of. After that summer day in 1969, there were just five other manned missions to the moon. The last one in 1972. Since then, the surface of the moon has been untouched by human boots. The ends didn't justify the means. Attention turned to developing the space shuttle, but the cost and tragedy began to chip away at America's verve for the great beyond. First, on January 28, 1986. The shuttle Challenger had blown up 73 seconds into its flight. Flight controllers here looking very carefully at the situation. Obviously a major malfunction. And in 2003. The engines uh, running normally. Three good fuel cells. Three good IBUs. Columbia Houston, com check. Columbia Houston, UHF, com My fellow Americans, at 9 o'clock this morning, 
Mission Control in Houston lost contact with our space shuttle Columbia. There are no survivors. Flights were suspended for two years after the Columbia disaster. And in 2011, Barack Obama grounded the space shuttle for good. America's human spaceflight program was put into deep freeze. The first time I met Naveen Jain, I thought about all this. It was a couple years ago, and I was in New Orleans, sitting on a couch in a giant convention center, listening to this fast-talking software billionaire tell me about his next big idea. It was called Moon Express. We're going to the moon simply becomes as easy as hopping on a Greyhound bus. He thinks the moon will become the eighth continent. You, you believe that? That's I happen. absolutely believe in 10 years we're going to be having a permanent settlement on the moon. I believe in the next, next 20 years there's going to be baby born on the moon from the people who are living on the moon. And they're going to be parents who are going to be looking up and saying, we come from that planet. I thought he was nuts. A rich guy looking for a metaphorical mountain to climb. Turns out, I was wrong. It was a handful of rich guys. Jeff Bezos, Sir Richard Branson, Elon Musk, and until his passing in 2018, Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen have all set their sights on the moon. And not just to visit, but to stay. A new space race has broken out. The goal? To colonize the moon. And they may just pull it off. The most obvious question, why? Last week, we dived into the dystopian side of our technocentric era. Homelessness, social division, drug addiction. We have a lot of problems here, on Earth. So why risk life and limb to go into outer space? Is this just the ultimate ego trip? I wanted to find out, so I booked a flight to Burbank in Southern California, rented a Ford Focus, and drove dead east, past the Joshua trees and tumbleweed, and in to the Mojave Desert. I'm Danny Fortson, West Coast correspondent for the Sunday Times, and this is Tales of Silicon Valley, an eight-part documentary series on the tech industry. This is episode five, Earth is Not Enough. What everybody's trying to figure out is, you know, what are the right economic models for the expansion of humanity into space? Because, I mean, it's inevitable, right? I mean, we are going out into space. No question. We could try out new political and governance systems, how to organize society that could be quite radically different and that might have benefits for people on the earth. I've not heard language to describe what I just experienced. It's the closest thing I've ever had to some type of spiritual epiphany. Good morning. Hi, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Great. I'm here to see Alana. What's your name? Danny. Danny. Okay. The Mojave Desert is dry and monochrome. Its most famous landmark is an airline boneyard. Hundreds of -of out-of-service airliners awaiting their fate. With a population of just 4,000 people, Mojave is the perfect place to test jets and rockets. Locals don't flinch at the sonic booms. It is home to Virgin Galactic. Sir Richard Branson's space company. Galactic is on the leading edge of the moon race. Its first step, tourism. 
It is building a fleet of spaceships to shoot people into orbit, give them a few minutes of weightlessness, and then bring them back to Earth. A single 90-minute round trip will set you back $250,000. Branson is confident customers will be willing. If people only live once and, you know, they'd love the, the chance to, you know, go to space, which, which NASA and, and the Russian governments would, would never be interested in letting people do, and they can afford it, why shouldn't they have the pleasure of being able to do it? And it could be, the, you know, the, begin, the start of people being able to go to the moon on a regu- regular basis. It could be one day the start of people going and staying in a hotel off the moon. It sounds outlandish. But I'm going to ask you to take a moment and think like a billionaire. Someone who has faced long odds, succeeded when no one thought it was possible, and reaped the rewards. If you're that type of person who's done the impossible before, is settling a celestial body 240,000 miles away actually that crazy of an idea? And what are the potential benefits? The answers will surprise you. And you worked at NASA, correct? Yeah, I was with the space shuttle program uh, for about uh, 16, 17 years, working uh, mission control down in Houston. I was a flight director, uh, directing missions, and then eventually the deputy program manager for shuttle uh, in Florida. So, yeah. This is Mike Moses. Now he runs operations at Virgin's Mojave HQ. We're standing inside a hangar in front of White Knight 2, the plane that is the launch vehicle for Virgin's spaceship, Unity which is sitting right behind it. Unity is a different type of rocket than what you probably think of. It doesn't launch vertically from the ground, but from the air. White Knight carries it up to an altitude of 45,000 feet and then drops it. After a few seconds of freefall, the pilots... They light the rocket motor, and then they basically accelerate straight ahead for about 10 seconds or so, and that gets us supersonic. We go through Mach 1, the shock waves form, supersonic about 10 seconds, turn on our tail, and go the rest of that uh, straight up. So you're going like vertical. And you're going near vertical, yeah. That is about 2,300 miles an hour. And a minute later, the rocket motor cuts off, and you're in space. So our trajectory is just like if you took a softball and threw it up as high as it would go, it would arc up, but eventually it starts to fall right back down again. So within the ship, you are inside going the exact same speed as the ship itself. So you're weightless. I mean, so everybody talks about the serenity of space and the nice quiet and the serene views. You've got to ride a rocket at Mach 3 to get there. So that's, the, <laughs> that's a good part of the ride. Right, right. <laughs> I, I don't like skipping over that part. After 15 years of delays, testing, and tragedy, Galactic is almost ready to start commercial operations. But the original idea goes back to 2004, when famed aeronautics engineer Bert Rutan won the Ansari X Prize. $10 million for the first privately built ship to make it to space. Release. Fire. Fire. Since then, Branson and his partners have invested well over a billion dollars to get to a point where they are nearly ready to replace test pilots with civilians. The first flight from a specially built spaceport in New Mexico could take off in the first half of next year, and Branson will be on board. And in preparation for this new age of space tourism, Galactic is building two more ships. The moon is not far behind. (laughs) 
George Whitesides, another NASA refugee, is Virgin Galactic's CEO. So we are sort of solidifying and proving the market for people. And like this will be one step, you know. Another step is going on a moon journey, and that's like four steps down the road. If Jeff Bezos has anything to do with it, that road will be short. The Amazon founder this summer unveiled a lunar lander that his space company, Blue Origin, has been quietly working on for three years. Let me show you something. This is Blue Moon. Bezos's goal? To put his Blue Moon on the lunar surface by 2024. It's time to go back to the moon, this time to stay. Like Virgin Galactic, Blue Origin's first step is tourism. It will start test flights for its rocket this year. That stream of tourist dollars will help fund his grander vision, a bigger rocket called New Glenn for the moon mission. And SpaceX, Elon Musk's company, has built a rival spacecraft. Its Falcon Heavy rocket is the first powerful enough to make the three-day journey since the 1970s. We're living in a time when these four amazingly successful entrepreneurs, Richard, Jeff, Elon, and Paul Allen before his passing, have decided to you know, spend a significant portion of their net worth on expanding humanity's presence into space. Given the history, it is an extraordinary turn of events. The Apollo mission that took Armstrong to the moon chewed up 4% of America's gross domestic product. It involved 400,000 people. And the motive was existential. The Soviet Union had beaten America to space with Sputnik. The U.S. needed a show of strength, something to put the communists back in their box. But once we had done it, the imperative faded. There were three subsequent pushes to get back to the moon. Once by Nixon, once by George W. Bush, and once by his father, George H.W. Bush. It took a crisis, the space race, to speed things up. Today we don't have a crisis, we have an opportunity. And next, for the new century, back to the moon, back to the future, and this time, back to stay. Back to stay. Sound familiar? George Bush Sr.'s grand vision, like the others, was quashed as soon as NASA told him how much it would cost. And they quoted $500 billion to return to the moon and go on to Mars. Charles Miller is an industry consultant. And it was just completely shocked everybody. They did this 90-day study. It was completely unrealistic. In today's dollars, it'd be a trillion dollars about. Despite the setbacks, hope springs eternal. In March 2019, Donald Trump became the fourth president since Kennedy to declare his lunar ambitions. Just as the United States was the first nation to reach the moon in the 20th century, so too will we be the first nation to return astronauts to the moon in the 21st century. Oh, there's a virgin, I see a virgin tailfin over there. Yeah, so that's the, uh, we can do a quick drive-by when we head to the test site. That's the 747 Cosmic Girl. Amid all the grandiose visions and mission statements, it's striking how artisan the space industry can feel. It's almost hipster. We'll go back in there and I can show you the next two spaceships. Enrico Palermo, 
who runs the unit charged with building Virgin's ships, took me on a tour of the factory. I finally yeah. answer your question. This is the tool or the mold. It's made of carbon fiber because we have to cook this. And so you want to have the same, uh, actually maybe don't touch it too much. Uh, Sorry. They're not cooking there, but still. Um, Those two spaceships being pieced together in Virgin's Mojave hangars, much of it is being done by hand. Technicians meticulously laying one layer of carbon fiber over another. So this is space. And this is you. This is so this that's is it. what a centimeter. Yeah, centimeter maybe centimeter and a half. Centimeter and a half. Yeah, just uh, just over a centimeter. Between you and instant death. Yeah, not what? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One way to put it. So what's changed? Why do a handful of rich guys feel like they can credibly talk about doing something that the world's richest nation has, for decades, failed to do? Why is this time going to be any different? Two reasons: rockets and water. listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of the aeronautical and material science problems that had to be cracked in the 1960s were cracked. Layered on top of that is half a century of further innovation. The result is that the cost of rockets has collapsed tenfold. And having been rebuffed time and again, NASA changed its tune. Rather than insisting on doing it all itself, it asked for help from private enterprise, giving out contracts, for example, to take cargo to the International Space Station. Suddenly, there was opportunity and incentive. A simple cost threshold for setting up a little base on the moon and, you know, with 10 or 15 people has changed from hundreds of billions of dollars to maybe a few billion dollars. Will Marshall is a former NASA physicist who now runs Planet, a private satellite company. There are people in the Bay Area for which they could do that and they would barely notice it disappear from their bank account. Water is the other factor. A huge mass of ice was discovered in a 2009 NASA probe in which Marshall was involved. That ice was a game changer. Water is by far the biggest consumable for humans to live. Firstly, to drink, of course, and to grow plants. Secondly, to split into hydrogen and oxygen for fuel and get the oxygen to breathe. So the vast majority of what we need to consume is suddenly there and in readily available if it extrapolates to the other dark craters of the moon in a similar sort of way, there's enough for tens or even hundreds of millions of people to be there for hundreds or thousands of years. The moon, the poles in the moon become the Middle East, right, with oil. So it's possible. Great. But why do it? The most common answer is that we are living on borrowed time. Remember the dinosaurs? They were 
pretty big. But it's thought that they got wiped out by a single asteroid hit to the planet. It's only a matter of time before that happens again. We need a backup. The moon could also serve as a social laboratory. Remember, when we go to the moon, it will be the first time we establish an off-Earth permanent base. And the way we do it, I think, is super important because it will set precedents for the future settlements beyond that, too. That's why these governance questions are really important. It's how we figure out how to work together. What rules are we going to use? Rights to property. How do we interact? Do we allow war? Under what circumstances do whose laws prevail? Clean slate opportunity is a tremendous one. And, yeah, you can have more radical ideas and experiment and the birth of the American Republic in some senses was because of that clean slate that actually wasn't a clean slate but the Europeans sort of took it that way and uh, established this new sort of political system or you know uh, with certain at least factors that were new uh, like the attitude towards religion and I think that's really you know there's not many opportunities like that. Bezos goes a step further. Settling the moon is imperative, because sooner or later we're going to exhaust the resources of our home planet. We will run out of energy on Earth. This is just arithmetic. It's going to happen. What happens when unlimited demand meets finite resources? The answer is incredibly simple. Rationing. That's the path that we would be on. It would lead for the first time to where your grandchildren and their grandchildren would have worse lives than you. The good news is that if we move out into the solar system, for all practical purposes, we have unlimited resources. For all of human history, the Earth has felt big to us. That's not true anymore. The Earth is no longer big. Humanity is big. His long-term vision is out there. He speculates that the human population could reach one trillion. That's a 150-fold increase from today's population. How? By freeing ourselves from our earthly constraints and instead sprinkling ourselves across the galaxies on moons and outer space structures that he calls O'Neill colonies after the physicist Jerry O'Neill, who came up with the idea. These are very large structures, miles on end, and they hold a million people or more each. There'd be whole new kinds of architecture. These are ideal climates. These are shirt sleeve environments. This is Maui on its best day all year long. No rain, no storms, no earthquakes. What does the architecture even look like when it no longer has its primary purpose of shelter? We'll find out. What does it mean for Earth? Earth ends up zoned residential and light industry. It'll be a beautiful place to live. It'll be a beautiful place to visit. It'll be a beautiful place to go to college and and to do some light industry. But heavy industry and all the polluting industry, all the things that are damaging our planet, those will be done off Earth. A trillion people. The Earth zoned as the interstellar suburb to factories and colonies floating in the cosmos. Would you expect anything less from the guy who brought us Prime Day. I'm in a bar in San Francisco, being served shots by a hostess dressed like an extra from Mad Max. It's the opening of a new Virgin Hotel. Branson is here. So is comedian Dave Chappelle, 
and the world's most interesting man, for those who have seen those Dos Equis commercials. I'm here, however, for the astronauts. More than 600 people have paid up to $250,000 to reserve their spot in line for a flight to space. Some have been waiting for a decade. You're just looking at the dial to see how the, yeah. how the signal's coming in? Yeah, and you're looking good. All right. You're not looking so bad yourself. Michael Gamrell lives in Orange County and was one of the first to sign up. I got the information in 2008 when I sold my company, <laughs> which I think is a, is a theme that I've heard among uh, many of my future astronaut colleagues. But I was busting my butt when um, Bert Rutan won the X Prize in 2004. And I just started cranking and working hard and sold my company in 2008 and then signed up in 2009. It's the adventure of a lifetime. And I'm not worried about things like dangerous or scary stuff like that. And I understand there are risks, but I'm far more excited than I am worried or nervous. Gamble may sound as if he's talking about going on safari, but the dangers are not trivial. In 2014, Virgin Galactic's VSS Enterprise, the sister ship to Unity, disintegrated in midair. A test pilot was killed, and the other, thrown from the craft 10 miles above the Earth, parachuted to safety. Virgin's program ground to a halt. A government investigation found that the accident was due to pilot error and inadequate safety measures. Virgin had to overhaul Unity to make it impossible for that same mistake to happen again. But for a while, it was unclear whether they would continue. Richard Stiber, an ex-Google executive, future Virgin astronaut, and a father of two, didn't waver. Even though people were dying and the engine was exploding, I didn't ask for the money back. The reason that Richard was kind of keep going was that people stuck with him. I think the best thing is not to think of them as the space tourists, but more as the, the people who were supporting the Wright brothers. It's not that they want to have this 10-minute weightlessness in space. There's something bigger. I don't bungee jump. I don't do that kind of stuff. I want to ride a rocket. That's going to be an amazing experience. And I really don't care about the weightlessness per se, but to be up in space and to look down and to see the curve of the Earth, that is the thing for me. People who have been to space speak about it reverentially. It changes people. And everyone involved seems to view themselves as part of something bigger. The few who pave the way for the many into new frontiers. Just like generations before, whether it was sailing for the new world or braving the Oregon Trail. If space colonies do happen, hopefully Marshall is right. And settlers won't have to lay waste to alien civilizations to set up our outposts out there. In February... Virgin Galactic's Unity passed a major milestone. It flew 56 miles straight up into low Earth orbit. On board, test pilots Dave Mackay and Mike Such Masucci, as well as Beth Moses, who rode along to test what the experience was like in the back of the rocket as a passenger. Mackay's job is to face down death, to test the limits of the new ship and its rocket motor. He's one of those people who is paid to have ice water in his veins. In other words, he is not easily impressed. 
in the actual flight, I looked out left and I could see so much. It was it was almost disorientating. It just looked like I could see half of America up into Canada, and uh, and the Earth was just brilliantly lit. There's no force in your body. There's no noise. There's no move, movement. Going into space gives you a sense of scale of the planet, and it's not actually very big, and the atmosphere is incredibly thin, and then you're staring into this, you know, empty blackness. Beth Moses was the seventh person in history to be awarded commercial astronaut wings, and the first non-pilot. As soon as we sat down, she proudly pulled them out of her pocket to show them off. Mine happened to be number 007, which I quite love. <laughs> she, too sees herself as the first of many. I don't know if you've ever been in a snow-covered field in bright sunlight, and it almost hurts your eyes. It is so faceted and brilliant and magic. It's like white but crystal. I can't describe it. Space is indescribable, but I think Earth was wearing her diamonds. I had one last question. Having got a taste of the great beyond, did she fancy moving permanently to outer space? I think the moon should be colonized. I'd love to go live there for a while, sure. I think the human spirit is inconquerable. I mean, you know, barring major disaster. You know, if the Earth is still here, if humans are still here, of course someday we'll live on the moon. Convinced? Ready to mortgage your house for the sake of human progress? I didn't think so. But enough people have. Branson has pulled off one of the great crowdfunding campaigns in history. The money that people have paid to save their place in the space queue adds up to $150 million. Blue Origin has not started taking reservations yet, but you can sign up for updates. They're all hurtling toward this improbable vision becoming real. And what about Moon Express? In the last year, it has laid off half of its staff and just missed out on the first round of NASA contracts for companies who will start shipping equipment and conducting tests on the lunar surface. Moon Express, in other words, has failed to launch. And so will countless others. But the smart money wouldn't bet against Jeff Bezos. Please make no mistake about this. Earth is the best planet. We must have a future for our grandchildren and their grandchildren of dynamism. We cannot let them fall prey to stasis and rationing. When that is possible, when the infrastructure is in place, just as it was for me, in 1994 to start Amazon for the future space entrepreneurs, you will see amazing things happen, and it will happen fast. Thank you. Next week on Tales of Silicon Valley, we come back down to Earth dive deep into an equally mysterious place, the human brain, which Silicon Valley is exploring with as much urgency as the great beyond. And the implications of that quest could be far greater than anything we find in outer space. Problem is, particularly in Silicon Valley, they'll all think I'm the only person that knows the right thing. You know, the same people that move fast and broke things and created norms before anyone really understood what was going on. These people now want to do the same thing inside our brains. Tales of Silicon Valley was written and narrated by me, Danny Fortson, with production by Chica Ayers at Rethink Audio. 
Matt Hall is the executive producer for Wireless Studios. It was a Wireless Studios production for Times Newspapers. And one last thing. If you like this series and want to hear more tales of Silicon Valley, subscribe to my other podcast, Danny in the Valley. It is an interview series with everyone from Bill Gates and Mark Andreessen to the little startup working on the next big idea. Sign up wherever you get your podcasts. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.